Okay, this is the um, Halifax to India segment. And I'm going to break it up into two parts because I think two more bite-sized chunks would be better than just one big chunk. Let me know anyway what you what you think. Um, and we're rolling. I'd done a push bike ride before and that was kind of the main influence to wanting to do it again. Me and Dickie Anlon, we were both 19 and we'd both been like simultaneously dumped by our girlfriends. I was moping around at home and my dad's like, oh, why don't you go to France and pick grapes? And I looked at him like, what, you can do that? And he said, oh, I, yeah. And he's, he's kind of painted this picture of these beautiful sunny vineyards and these sultry Mediterranean women. I only had, I got a bike, I bought this push bike, it's like 50 quid. Just an old drop handle and Dickie Anlon had a drop handle bike already. We didn't have any um, pedal clips or special shoes or, I don't even think, I didn't even have um, cycling shorts. Dickie Anlon did, he borrowed them off his brother. But yeah, no fancy gear and we had this tent. We just strapped on the front. We had pannier frames and some bags, like... Got some second-hand bags off a bloke. My sister, a boyfriend at the time, a guy called Charlie, his next-door neighbour was a truck driver and he'd got us a lift down at the south of England, so we helped him with a loading, loading and unloading of this truck on the way down through England, and then we got to Kent and we rode across from there, got a ferry. We rode all the way through down to southern France, a place called Pepignan, Rode up to this nearest vineyard, saw this bloke, and we said, uh, We've come to pick grapes. And this French dude looks at us, But they are not ready. <laughs> oh, shit. We end up looking back now, we might have got a job doing pruning or something like that, but we just assumed the only job was actually picking them. And so we just said, Okay. Just ended up riding over the Pyrenees into Spain because Dickie knew a, a guy over there, a Spanish fella. He got us a job in a cafe. That ride, it was a real rite of passage. Like, it was a real boy-to-mannered kind of moment. You know, we were just kids when we set off. Was, when I come back, I felt like I'd actually made that move into being, you know, like a young man. The trip was just, you know, skin of his teeth stuff sometimes. You know, we'd just sleep wherever we could. Sometimes get down by the cops with that sleeping on house roofs and they come up and say, Oh, you try to sleep in a bull ring and kipped on a lot of beaches and even kipped on a roundabout in the middle of a busy road once. Yeah, that was, that was just a, a real um, roughing it kind of experience, you know, with shaving cow wing mirrors and we learnt, we learnt a lot of hard lessons and we had an absolute ball. We got right down to the south of Spain and we were staring across the streets of Gibraltar to Morocco. You know, I just wanted to keep going, but we'd run out of cash. We'd just had enough money to get back north. It was a real downer heading home. Like, there was an actual, the actual heading home part was a bit of an adventure, to be honest, but the actual... Once I'd got over the joy of meeting my family, just the sitting down back in the same environment where you left, it's like you just woke up from a dream, you know, a good dream. So this time around, 
writing from India. Inside, you know, I had no real intention of coming back. And I think that's, it's no offence to where you live. Sometimes you've just got to get away from your old self. You've got to get away from all those people who have an expectation of you. Uh, you know, so oh, you'd never do that. Or, yeah, it's always like that. Or, you know, people kind of limit you. They don't mean to sometimes as well. It's just the way you perceive people. Just breaking out of that, you can reinvent yourself. As I've said in the introduction to this podcast, like, I'd met Brian in the place I was trying to escape, you know. I thought he was just another eight-pint hero, you know, old beer talk. But Brian was different, you know. He had an older brother called Jim, and he'd been to India. And he he was a full-on traveller. I think he lived overseas by then. But in India, you know, he, Brian had all these pictures of his brother with his big bushy beard and riding up on ponies up into the Himalaya and living in caves, smoking the herbs. His mum, Teresa, said when he come home, he just couldn't stand the sound of ticking clocks. You know? And I've got to admit, I'm a bit the same. It's like they're counting your life away one tick at a time. Jim, Bride's brother, he'd, he'd stay for a bit and then he'd be off again and must have seemed so exciting to Brian and he you know, must have really influenced him when he was a kid. I went round to his house, he lived in Illingworth, probably a few miles down the hill from Queensbury and his mum Teresa invited me in. Absolute lovely lady, tall gem. She said, Would you like something to eat, love? Cup of tea. Teresa, she had um, ten kids, and Bri was the baby. Uh, when I walked in, I could hear the Saturday horse racing going on in the front room, and Bri's old man Joe's there watching the telly, you know, with the newspaper there, and he's obviously got a bet on. Uh, Teresa shut the front room door, and we went into the kitchen, and I rolled out the map on the kitchen table. I'm showing Bri the, the route. I felt a bit like a car salesman. I was trying to say... <laughs> I felt like if I said the wrong thing, he might just go, oh, that's a bit much for me. You know, and this was sobriety. I'm showing Brian the rough route I'd drawn. We're going to start in New Delhi, ride across to the Himalaya, Nepal, you know, ride through Nepal, ride up through the mountains into Myanmar, then Thailand and Malaysia, duck across to Sumatra and Indonesia and ride over the volcanoes onto the west coast and then get as close as we could to Australia via ferries and then flying. But it was um, a large-scale political map, you know. It had no contours. Or, you know, it didn't show how serious the climbs were. It really played down the, the, the size of the journey. And also, psychologically, it looked better too because, you know, we're heading southeast, kind of downhill. Brian looked at the route I was going and he said, yeah, 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 I like it. But I think, like, it was just the going bit he liked best. I was, I was giving him a chance to get out of there. Brian, he worked at a place called Denon Velvets. He was a supervisor and they made the velvet, the strip that stopped light getting in a photographic film. <laughs> so I'm sure they had other uses for this velvet, but that was one of the main ones he, he always tell me about and, he said, you know, there's a lot of fumes in there and you'd be looking over these noisy machines. 
I'd seen him out the front one night. He was, he was used to work shifts, and it was just it was like a summer evening, and he was sat on the windowsill outside, supping a cup of tea and trying to get some fresh air. And he told me, like, you know, I've, I've sold my car, and my sister-in-law's got me this bike, and Jim said he, he had a, some Indian rupees stashed in his top drawer. So he had, like, 150 quid's worth of Indian rupees, so Bryce got that. And everything seemed to be coming together. We'd even got some extra work. We work, we started working for my stepdad, Fred. We're on like this big scaffold, this shaky scaffold about 20 metres up off the ground. There was like a big square chimney and they had these massive blocks. Like we were crowbarring them off, getting them loose. And then we'd lift them up and we put them in this plastic chute that um, went down into this skip. We had this other guy working with us and he was a bit of a big lummox, you know, a big bit goofy. He was trying to carry this block on his own, but he couldn't get it into the chute. So he just threw it over the side. And it's spinning, we're watching it, and it's spinning on the way down. And then when it hit the deck, it just bounced in the air and started cartwheeling across the car park. And there's Freddy, he's up this ladder pointing a wall with his back to it. And we're all shouting, you know, look out, Fred, Fred! And... <laughs> Turned round at the last minute and this massive block just like whooped straight past his ear. Like it actually grazed his ear and it told me later it actually clipped the, his shoulder of his jacket too. And it smashed against this wall right next to him. This goof looks down, he's leaning over the scaffold and he just said, Sammy! <laughs> it's like he'd spilled beer on his shoes or something. It was getting closer and closer to uh, leaving. Saturday afternoon, and we were walking through town and went past the pub. Brass Cat, and everyone was in the beer garden having a good laugh, so we, we went in there and we had a pint. And we got these mats and these sleeping bags, and people are asking us what they're for, and then, of course, we're telling them we're off to ride our push bikes from India to to Australia. And you're sort of getting a mixed reaction. A lot of people... You know, they're slapping you on the back and saying, oh, brilliant. Oh, God, I wish I could do that. Then you'll get the real, you know, normally put someone who's had a couple more beers and they're a bit less considerate of, of pissing on your chips, you know. Like, oh, what? India? Why would you go there? Riding all that way on that little saddle? Got to be a puffer. I just said to this guy, no, no, we don't have saddles. We just ride on the bus. <laughs> Shut him up. And we went out into the beer garden and it was a lovely sunny day, actually. That's probably why everyone was out. People had, like, burnt noses showing off that they'd actually been burnt by a sun, you know. And we're drinking Guinness and laying back on our, on our roll mats and got sleeping bags and kind of practising, really. <laughs> Felt good. I guess that was the difference. Now we were in the pub. And we were kind of getting a bit carried away and being like eight-pint heroes, but we actually had equipment with us now, so it kind of meant a bit more. We had props. <laughs> it was my last night of going out, and all my old mates, like um, JB, Andy Mansley, uh, Chris Keyes, Dave Ellis, we'd, we'd gone out in Halifax, and they were all saying to me, ah, oh, you never really get totally pissed, Moz. And the truth was, for one, I didn't like being totally pissed. I'd, you know, I'd woken up 
sleeping in gutters and stuff like that a few times and not knowing where you are. It's a horrible feeling. And as a lot of you will be uh, relate to. <laughs> I'm not saying all my audience are alcoholics, but if you're liking these stories, you've probably got some kind of connection. So this particular night, we're out and they kept getting me drinks and I don't do vodka. Vodka's like, I don't know, I think certain drinks do certain things to people, but vodka, you just kind of have these gaps in your night, you know, one minute you're walking down the street, next minute you're climbing up a tree or something, or up on a scaffold. But John just kept plonking these drinks in front of me, like on, on a loop. I'd turn around and be like, vodka and orange, turn around, vodka and orange. Come on, Mars, fucking hell, down in one, go, go. I come out of this club and I was, I was bollaxed. This ute came past like, so I've just gone, yo, I'm off. And I've just like jumped on the back of this pickup truck and I'm heading down this, like a cobble street behind the peace hall. See you lads, I'm uh, off to Australia. See you in the next life. But then <laughs> this truck started going faster. Once it got through the crowd of people, it sped up and it's going fast down this cobble road and I couldn't get off. <laughs> so I'm thinking, oh shit, we're going to get hurt here. So I, I turned around, I'm trying to climb in because I was suddenly perched on the corner. I looked in the front and I saw the driver's eyes in the rearview mirror. He's with his girlfriend, young fella. And he's just booted it. I just cartwheeled off the back of this pickup truck and just smashed my head on the ground. So I'm laid there, groaning, and I've got blood on my elbow. And this big lumps growing on the back of my head. I'm trying to look above my head. I'm trying to look up the street because that's where all my mates are and I'm waiting for them to come down and help me. But they were actually up the road in the blue with this guy. This guy was trying to start a fight with one of them and it's all getting a bit rowdy. Yeah, I'm laid in this road under this orange glow, just thinking, alcohol's going to win and I'm never getting out of here. I can hear these women coming up the street, like clip-clopping up the street, sounding like car horses. And they'll... <coughs> this lass looks down at me. Fucking pisshead. <laughs> they all just walked around me and left me. On the day we were meant to leave, Bryce still wasn't home. It was about four in the morning and we were meant to get a lift at 5am. Finally, he come skipping down the road. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 I just won last night out. <laughs> so it was all packed though, so we got all ready and his, his mum's out the front, Teresa, and she's throwing holy water over everyone. She's like, Mainly over Brian, of course. And she's telling me, you know, look after him. He's my baby. And I'm, Don't worry, I will. I will. And she threw a bit over me. and oh, She even threw some over the driver. And that was that. Got in the van and chucked our bikes in and we were gone. As it got lighter, we could see the people outside all squashed up against the windows. We'd been getting glimpses through the auto doors because every time it opened, you'd hear all the noise and you'd see all this commotion. 
And it was a riot out there. It was like a big scram between the porters, taxi drivers and passengers. And we, eventually we got through, got a stamp and we dragged our bike boxes outside and this bloke's come straight up to me, Caddy? And before I knew it, he's grabbed my bag and he's run off and he's using it like bait to lure us to a taxi. We get we get to the back of back of all these cute taxis and there's this dude sat on the bonnet having a chaff on a cigarette. And he smiles and he said, you know, what are you wanting? We realised we didn't really know where we were going. <laughs> we didn't have a clue. Bit of a hindsight note here is, you know, if if you want like a unique travel experience, don't follow like a guidebook, Lonely Planet or any other guidebook. Because you can end up following a path that lots of others are going on. But saying that, when you arrive in a town for the first time, they are brilliant for accommodation, um, how it communicates. And there's maps too, so you know where the hell you're going. I definitely dumbed it down a bit when I'd just drawn these lines on the map. It was something like, right out the airport toward the Himalaya. We're in this taxi and the driver was playing upbeat Hindi music and it went well with all the commotion out on the road, so, you know. There's these lucky charms flailing around the cab that's hanging off his rearview mirror and he's weaving through all the rickshaws and bikes and buses and holy cows and everything else, people. He was taking us to a place that's about 10 k's from the airport called Carol Bar. As we approached there in this air-conditioned taxi, I didn't want to get out. We, we <laughs> I don't know what Brian was thinking, but it was so thick with people. Like, Halifax has a population density of... Currently now, 2000, you know, 2021, there's 565 people per square kilometre. And this place, Carol Bar, it's got a population density of 33,000 people per square kilometre. <laughs> I, think, I think it was lucky we didn't actually know half of the shit we were going to have to do and half of the hardships because if you just get fed little challenges each day, you can deal with it. So I guess we were lucky, really. We didn't know what we had ahead of us. The the driver went up to the guy, the concierge or porter at the hotel, and there was a bit of a cash, a few rupees, changed hands, and then they carried our stuff in for us, which was great. It's called the Sheraton Palace. It's a bit of an overstatement. Next day, we'd been too long farting around, putting our bikes together. By the time we got outside, it was midday. We stood on the periphery of this massive congregation of two wheels, four wheels, six, eight wheels, twelve wheels, you know, timber wheels, animals, hooves, people. And there was no real delineation between the road and the footpath. And it was really dangerous because you couldn't actually move. You couldn't move away from, a, say, a big truck coming because the, the crowds were pushing you back. It's like being in a mosh pit. There 
was a, a motor rickshaw swerved in and just missed Bray, and then that sort of prompted us we had to get going because we we're, were getting swallowed up with all these people. And then a truck was right next to us and this big wheel was getting closer and pushing us back toward the curb. But the people on the curb were spilling out in the road and we were boxed in. So we had to get off our bikes and kind of force our way into a, a tiny bit of space. And then we had another go and we tried to get going again. and We, we got a bit bolder each time and a bit ruder, I guess, because... When someone starts pushing you, you start pushing back and all of a sudden it's fine. So we're just pushing our way through these, this crowd all getting pushed. It's four, about 40 degrees and there's, and there's no, no air because everyone's, everything's blocking the breeze. The buses and trucks have these megahorns and they're so loud they rip right through you when they blast them. And folks are shouting, arguing and a lot of people are actually just laughing because they're used to it. It's just part of each day for them. Bri looked at me as if to say, which way? <laughs> and I, I've got no idea because all the road signs are hidden behind bodies and vehicles. We, and we'd stopped to try and ask directions, point to this map, but we just got surrounded. They were squashed right up against us. I was worried we were going to get pickpocketed, rocking the head side to side and deliberating and pointing in different directions and crowd is just building and building and building so then we just took off again we'd try and ask again and then the same thing had happened and we just kept sort of hopscotching out of this place until it thinned out a bit that's how we left New Delhi stopping, getting mobbed and then taking off again we somehow got on the right road we had uh, drinking bottles with this glucose in it and that was just keeping us going we didn't even stop for any food. We, I don't think we dare stop. I don't think there was any sense that wasn't completely overwhelmed. In the late afternoon, the country started opening up and we actually saw our first mud hut. There was a woman out the front and she was pulling the cheap plastic bags, like the single-use plastic bags, out of the monsoon muds. That was a really refreshing thing about India. Nothing was wasted back then. I don't know what it's like now, but... We saw a, a monkey, our first monkey, running on this wall top. And lush paddy fields started appearing on the edges of the road. The setting sun was reflecting off the water. And there was these beautiful giant kingfishers. They're as big as kookaburras in Australia. And they were just looking down into the paddy fields at the, at the fish. And it was almost peaceful. It was calming down. But this truck, he'd come from downwind and he'd come right alongside us. And he blasted his, this megahorn. He nearly blew us into this paddy field. It was one of those fucking hell moments. And we're holding our chests and looking up the road at this, this truck that's passing us. And through the dust, I can see the co-driver. It seemed like it was the same guy every time after that. Like a moustache, sunglasses, and this bandana, and this big cheeky smile. And it seemed, they weren't doing it on purpose, because they were desensitised to it. 
but it seemed like they were, they were going, I'll get this bastard. Just blasting the horn and waiting for the reaction. The trucks were hand-painted. They kind of got this chrome and then all these hand-painted designs on the cabs and on the timber trays at the back. And the real workhorse trucks, they looked like ex-military trucks or something. And they always had, on the mud flaps, they'd have different characters, normally movie stars, like Indian movie stars or from Bollywood. This this particular one had uh, Sylvester Stallone on the mud flaps with an AK-47. The horns, the horns, I call them mega horns. I saw an advertisement on a billboard once when we were riding they showed this horn, pride of place, you know. They were like massive foghorns. And the rule was, if, real if you sound your horn first, then you got right away. And you can do what you want. And it seemed like you could mow, mow down a crowd of people if if you sounded your horn first. A couple of days after this, there was three trucks all racing each other down this country lane. And they'd filled up the whole road, and, and they're all blasting the horns. And me and Brian just had to jump into this paddy field along with these two farmers. We all rolled down this bank and they just did what the fuck they wanted. As we were riding, there was this smell on the wind. A real horrible smell, you know, that smell of death, like roadkill. So we ride up a bit further and we start hearing, like, these dog yelps and this squawking. And on the left, there's this um, riverbank, big river there, and the, it looks like the monsoon waters have subsided, and there's these two bloated buffalo on the riverbank. And this local fella's skinning them. He's got these two big meat cleavers, and he's hacking into them. He's got gumboots on, and he's covered in guts and blood and stuff. And all around him, there's all these um, there's feral dogs. There's about ten feral dogs and about ten, probably ten of each. There's like ten feral dogs, ten vultures, and ten crows, and they're all just fighting for scraps from this this guy. <laughs> these vultures were big, you know. They, they were sort of like not quite waist high. Yeah, almost waist high. Me and Brian had stood there with his gobs open watching him. And he saw us and he'd come up and he's running toward the fence in these gumboots, pulling himself out of the mud. And he's waving, the, <laughs> he's waving, but he's waving the meat cleavers at us. And all the putrid flesh was dripping down to off his elbows. It looked like wax. We just got on our bikes and took off. <laughs> safe than sorry we'd only managed to cover 47 miles that day which looking back I'm pretty proud of that <laughs> I think we kind of hoped to do about 100 miles a day we ended up doing 100 k's a day in the end sometimes depends what the roads were like some of the roads were so bad and the Indian bikes and the Nepalese bikes they were, I think they were like the Chinese bikes they had, they looked really old-fashioned, but they had these mega springs in the saddle, and the locals are just sort of bedoying up and down on these rough roads, 
and take all the shocks through their asses. Whereas we had these supposedly superior mountain bikes, but back then there was no suspension on them. And they had no give, so on these rough roads you just get really sore elbows and, and asses from bouncing up and down. We ended up in a place called Harpur. It was just after dark. You couldn't see a thing. It was pitch black. It was like being out in the absolute middle of nowhere because there was limited electricity back then. I had just a little tiny pen light. I tied it to my handlebars, kind of going against the flow of this massive crowd of people. And you can't see the faces. It's just these black shapes and you're trying to s squeeze between them. We got into town and there were a couple more lights there, but it was still really dark. And the mechanics, believe it or not, were actually... They were setting fire to car tyres to get the light so they could see what they were doing on the truck. So there's this big black plumes of smoke going up in the air. 